with Joshua Cottle. And Joshua, I didn't ask, but do you go by Josh or Joshua? Uh, Josh. Josh, okay. So I just wanted to uh, have a chat with you. We're streaming live here on YouTube. Uh, we can use this video later. Um, I went ahead and titled the video, um, Video and Thinking Outside the Box. But one of the reasons I pay attention to you is because I see your YouTube videos uh, that you're putting up on Facebook, the video that you produce. Can you tell people a little bit about your background uh, and where they can find you? I've got uh, graphics, by the way. Your YouTube channel is just above you and your website address is just below you. So now I can point around. Yes. So on, <laughs> on YouTube, I am the Pain Punisher. And below, uh, I have a Facebook group, all that good stuff. And my business name is Psy Body Therapy. Um, I've only been a therapist for coming up on four years. Uh, previous to that, I was in school to be an RN and actually uh, like advanced practice, a doctor of nursing. Um, I was about four years, about four years in and got put on a wait list, walked into a massage school, purely fluke happening and was like, this seems like something I might like, wasn't really sure and fell in love with it. Nice. So you wound up in massage coming from more like a medical background. Okay. Interesting. Yep, yep, yep. But my what? wife's an RN, so I mean that's kind of how I approach everything is very not necessarily clinical, but uh, that person, I think that was probably my favorite part about massages. It's all very slow and very person-centered. Yeah. And kind of almost the the interaction is the opposite of medicine because it's slow, yeah. but you get to bring all the information with you. Yeah. So yeah, one of the things about um, that slow you talked about was I extended my session length to three hours because I wanted more connection with the client, not less. I wanted more yeah. intimacy with the client, not less. And it was amazing to see the sort of like transformation people had because you were doing these heroic sessions where they were transforming from chronic pain issues and it really gave me time to smooth out the edges and work on the specific pain points you came in for. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things because, like, uh, you know, I have short sessions. I have as short as 30 minutes and up or up to three, three. It's, and it's usually like three and a half. And I always go over. Yeah. I know there's a lot of people who hate that, but, like, it's one of those things that if you find something at the end, it's like I'm not going to shortchange the person just because we found, oh, it's your hip or, you know, it's something that we didn't get to until 10 minutes till the end of the session. Yeah. But I totally agree with those, those epic sessions because they do. They feel, they truly feel epic for everybody involved. Yeah. So how did you um, get into video production specifically? <laughs> so I actually started out on Fiverr um, producing <laughs> videos for other people. Right? Nice. Nice. Uh, I did uh, smart ass uh, commentary and like ads for people. I actually played a wise guy. So I drop into like a Brooklyn accent. And I had like sledgehammer props and all that stuff, a little hat, black and white. And I would filter it um, and do all. And I made like 40 grand like that over the course of two years. It was a side gig. And I was like, you know what? I like making videos. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird, it's a weird art form. Um, I find it interesting. When I took art in high school, I did very poorly. Um, I just didn't, I didn't have a natural knack as a visual artist. 
but uh, videography, using cameras, uh, and now using software, it's amazing for me to feel like I'm coming into my own sort of as, a, as an artist. Like you're you're crafting the the storytelling, you're crafting the information distribution using AV in a way that I didn't really see when I started making video. Absolutely. And I think sometimes that's sort of the essence of like any art is that you have to find something you like that then you can practice it. And then as you do that, you get better and better. And it's almost like a, it's sort of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Uh, it's a very slippery slope. <laughs> the students are always asking be. like what, what to use. And I'm like, your phone. And then they think that the phone like isn't good enough. And I'm like, guys, if man, if you just this, you can record, produce, edit, distribute, like, yeah. I don't think a lot of people know because when they go to my videos, uh, if, they're, if they're like, well, what do you use? They're always assuming like the answer is some kind of, you know, DSLR or some expensive yeah. camera. And I guess originally it was expensive because yeah. it's a cell phone. And so, I mean, it was expensive. But Jesus, this thing records 60 frame 4K. There are DSLRs that don't do that. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, and I do all the editing. I can do the editing here on this phone. That, yeah. that's, that's what I'm using right now. Or I can transfer it over to an iPad if I want some more real estate or to a computer if I really want to. Yep. I find the whole ecosystem part of it is actually why I haven't switched from a phone because it allows me a lot of like mobility. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, to me, it's like being an artist and painting on canvas painting on wood, painting on metal, like there's, you learn over time, there's like different attributes. Um, sometimes I think people want it to be polished and perfect. Like you talk about these expensive DSLR cameras, but there's something about rough cut footage from a phone that I actually like. It, it feels less Hollywood and more authentic to people when they see it. Absolutely. No, I do that. And I just, there was a video that I just did where I just kind of intentionally have, you know, hand holding it and I'm walking out to the room, inter introducing the video and the topic. And then I like to screw around like I would like to inject a little humor. So I'll have, you know, a clip from the Simpsons or I'll drop in something mildly inappropriate or whatever yeah. to where it kind of pops you out of the like trance that you get in sometimes where it's like, it's all business and it's like, no, it's supposed to be fun. So we, we take this video and we post produce it. And then we add like space ghosts coast to coast and they're having like a little, you know, or it's like mystery science theater 3000. They're watching and like commenting on what we're doing with the little, little graphic. Yeah, if I could just have that meme of like the Jesus lean in, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I would just be like, what did you say? I feel like I have a lot of those moments in my videos. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, the, more, I, the more I do it, the more creative it becomes. Uh, the easier it is to like set things up and, and communicate with people. Um, I, I try to explain to uh, students and then colleagues too. It's like 80% is good enough. Like this recording, if you want to call it a recording, we're streaming live on YouTube. Like this may not be yeah. perfect. If I get 80%, I'm like gold. <laughs> and tomorrow the goal is to get 81% and just like keep repeating the process until you get good at it. So for me, People can now, I've done this, I've recorded video for 10 years, so people can take out a phone and go, hey, Robert, tell us something poignant. And I'm like, and I just blurt it out. And they're like, dude, how do you do that? And it's like, dude, I've been recording everything for 10 years. Like, I've just gotten ignored. It's like, I'm shaving. <laughs> Let's make a video. <laughs> it's funny. 
fine. Just do it anytime. And that, that honestly, if people, you know, people out there, they always look at it as a roadblock or like why they don't do it is, oh, it has to be perfect. Or whatever. No, yeah. some, some of the best moments are just, yeah. just get it out and just talk. Because that's the only way you get I, comfortable yeah, the, talking to a I teach a I teach a close-on form of work, and I try to explain to students that one of the advantages is that they can make video. It's easy to record things when people are clothed and you're doing a demo somewhere. But I think yeah. fundamentally the real issue is they say it's because they need the expensive camera or whatever. What they're really worried about is people's judgment. Oh, yeah, I would say I, that I couldn't agree with more. And I mean, I'm, I'll be honest, I still have moments where I put some, I'll put some shit out and be like, is this going to be like my moment to get my, <laughs> you know, stick my head in the meat grinder? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Well, like <laughs> I've seen, okay. I've seen your YouTube videos and like I wanted to comment on your, uh, your thumbnail images are great because they're always very like, you know, active, like your mouth is open, something's going on. It makes me want to click on it. And those little things, like, I don't know how long it takes you to make those or like if you're designing those in Canva or, you know, some software, but those little things are what I talk about. You make it 80% is good enough, but if you just keep at it and like improve it and make it better, it's like the audio signal, the video signal, the graphics, all of the software is really what allowed my business to shine, but it just shows off the stuff I was trying to sell anyway, which is sessions and then classes. It is. And, it, and that's one of the things like with video, you know, since we're on that subject, nothing, nothing sells like video. Like as soon as anytime I shop now, my first stop is A, the reviews. Like I'm looking to see how many stars it has. And I go look for a review on YouTube or like how to use a damn thing. Yeah. And then once I see it, I'm usually like, yep, I want that. Yeah. I mean, so the same thing with like massage. It's a visual media when you're a customer at first. When you're looking at it, you're like, and I mean, massage is, massage is fucking weird. Like people always want to, you know, they, they, when you're a therapist, um, you don't see the weirdness anymore because you've been doing the weirdness. But if somebody's never been in, they've never had a massage, it's weird to come in and get naked with someone. That yep. you don't know. And so that's it plays to that clothing part too. When I say, oh no, you stay in clothes, show up to yep. workout. And then next session, if they want to come in and they're more comfortable, fine. I, I think but, I think know, the transition is, is man, it's a huge selling point. Yeah, I, I think the transition is we we have such an intimate form of work. So the yeah. public has been trained to come in in private, take off their clothes, but long before they ever come in. The therapist can build rapport using this. They can yeah. build trust before they ever get in your room. Like massage therapists themselves are responsible for the education of the public and what we do. And this is how that happens. 100%. Yeah. And I can say right now that, it, I mean, aside from like advertising and all that stuff too, is that it helps you attract the clients you actually want to work with. Because immediately people can see my personality and they'd be like, nope. And that saves me. It saves them time and money. And it saves me. Like, because I'm I'm talkative. I'm not one of those people who's like, yep, just go to sleep. Everything is fine. People will do that. But if somebody comes in and they're like, you know, I want to talk politics. Okay, yeah. let's do that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so different. Some of my favorite sessions are the ones where people are, you know, a little like, oh, yeah, let's talk. Let's talk the whole session. Hell, the half the time, I think that's what they actually needed. 
Yeah. So, I mean, COVID has been um, extremely uh, difficult for people. It's been very, really hard on our industry, but I can't really mentally like figure out how much stress people have because we're usually like, I feel like we're the front lines. Like we storm the beach at Normandy every day when it comes to stress, like helping people with stuff. But like now because of COVID, it's made it even more (laughs) challenging. So I kind of focused more on the video because I could do that from home. Um, I could continue to educate in whatever form to wait for COVID numbers to subside, to go back to a fairly normal industry. But I really think that connection and fostering a sort of intimacy online, like I even looked at it from a video standpoint. Um, I just started this process and I haven't really done a lot of video yet. Like I was telling you, I'm still working on cameras and audio signals is I would review like a, a local beer. And for me, this was a weird step because I'm like, man, this yeah. isn't this is a massage. And I'm like, but it's me promoting me as a beer drinker locally. And then like I wrote a review on Instagram and then the company like, you know, waved at me or whatever. And I said, hey, if you if you want to one of your Bloom Masters wants to be on my podcast, let me know. And they sent me a message and say, yeah, email yeah. so-and-so. Well, the thing is, it's like it, it doesn't interact with a wellness-based business, but what it does is it builds personal brand. And it exposes me and my business yeah. by promoting other local businesses in an industry where like nobody's reaching out using video and audio that way. Well, and, and nothing, I think nothing makes like your business or even just your personal you know, your personal sphere more powerful or more, more valuable uh, than when you reach out to help someone else. Yeah. Because being unselfish is, I mean, who doesn't want to be around someone like that? Who doesn't want to do business with someone like that? Yeah. That's, so, you know, it's a hallmark. That alone can sell. That, so, that's what's interesting to me. You know, people, go for it. When, when people talk to me about competition, this comes up fairly regularly, and they're nervous about... Like, I don't know, like, if they follow Joshua, they're not going to follow me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 right. no, 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 that's not, you know, like, there's plenty enough students and clients and, you know, people for us to all basically eat until we are gorged and, like, can't eat anymore. And then, and then some. Yeah. Like, massage therapists act this like. This is one of those things that, uh... no, go ahead. Oh, they act like they're fighting. Like I ask them, what percentage of the massage, uh, the population gets massage on any regular basis? And we'll come up with a, just a, make up a number, 5%. And I'm like, why are you advertising to that 5% instead of the other 95%? Absolutely. And this is one of those things I think in other medical professions, it just doesn't happen. Nobody worries about the doctor down the road, if you're a doctor or if you're a nurse, you don't worry about the other nurse putting you out of business yeah, yeah, or sure. making it to where you're no longer valuable. So no chiropractor or you know physical therapist thinks they're going to get outplayed by like another professional because they're, I get maybe, and maybe it's that they realize that there's so many ways to work on a particular issue or just your interaction or there's so many different slices that go into how you come across, like how your business is and how you are as a person. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I I don't get overly concerned about it. I just continue to 
um, put out video and like some people they'll work with me. I have some apprentices who work with me fairly closely and they kind of go, man, I don't know how you do all that. <laughs> it's a software and the cameras and the, da, 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 da. and it's like, I don't really geek out about zeros and ones. Not really. What I geek out about right. is being able to build a business, being able to help people and being able to distribute information globally to do that. Like that's, Man, listen, I was 18, 19 years old when I first used the internet in 1995. Like, we come a long <laughs> way. Like, the stuff oh, that I dreamed about as a kid is, like, becoming real life. I mean, just this? I saw this develop. I didn't even know this was a computer. I was just irritated that people kept, put your phone down. It's a phone. I'm like, no, it's a small personal computer that connects to all of Earth. <laughs> you've, literally, you've literally seen the evolution from where they were like suitcase size all the way down to like teeny tiny yeah. and now gradually back the other way. Yeah. But thinner. <laughs> yeah. It, it's No, the, the, the cell phone is one of the most amazing pieces of technology that we have. I mean, it was like when I was wa I was watching your podcast, or the the video that you did before this about technology, yeah, you know all that stuff, and it's like it really is. We we live in the future. It's it, yeah. it's kind of amazing. So let me ask you this, kind of like from the last podcast, what do you think? It's twenty twenty one now. What happens in ten years? Just ten. Oh man. Um, if we don't destroy ourselves first, I preface everything with humanity. <laughs> you're you're going for the... You went straight um, to the gonna, apocalypse. <laughs> man, I think in 10 years that it's, you know, it's going to be a completely different world. I think about just 10 years ago to now, all the technology you've seen... And I mean, you could go a lot of different future futurist routes here to where technology is being built into you. I think as far as like helping people, I think that we're probably in a game changing 10 to 20 years where you're going to see like people who don't have a limb having that restored or augmented yep. in some way. Um, you know, it's like, the, you know, with vaccines and all that stuff, we really are on that. We're on a, a cusp. And this is why I preface it with not destroying ourselves because... We have an iffy history sometimes with technology, but, you know, restoring people's vision and hearing and, yeah. you know, curing chronic pain. I mean, how long have we heard that and the promise of that? And really, we still we sell opiates. That's pretty much what we have. And some, you know, some new thoughts on, you know, how pain works in your head, but still not, not a solution. I think in the next 10 years, I, that would be my number one thing that I would like to see is the, the control, complete control over pain. Um, along with just the, you know, being able to advance humanity yeah. in a way that we haven't seen. So that's like a broader scale. What do you think about massage specifically in uh, the next 10 years? Specifically with massage? Yeah. Oh, man. You know, I, I was funny because I had just been showing my kids those robots from Boston Dynamics. Yeah. And um, like some people, like, when I look at those, I'm like, am I completely replaceable? Yes. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I've had, I've honestly sat in some of those massage chairs that were better than some massage therapists that I've been to. Well, I usually, yeah, I, I, I say that, but sometimes it's like, oh, I think here's the issue. If, if Boston Dynamics, and I'll use them as an example, 
just because they seem to be producing some of the most advanced robotics that the public has seen. If that technology got to the point where it could give a massage as good as you and I do, one, I want one. <laughs> I heard you say And that two, <laughs> I totally want that. The other thing is, if automation gets to that point, if robotics, AI, and automation get to that point, humans essentially don't have to do manual labor anymore unless they want to. Yeah. That so changes the, the playing field that it's kind of like, I don't know, I always talk about the founding fathers because in America we're so familiar, but I'm like, yo, bro, if Ben Franklin had had access to Twitter... <laughs> Yeah, it's like it would be crazy. It's like these guys wrote documents with a feather. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we we've come we've come a long way. I I'm not really I'm I'm not I'm very let's put it this way. I used to be a luddite. I'm very optimistic about what's going to happen. Though I do think there's going to be some major hurdles. There are going to be some economic uh, blowback and changes. So, for instance, um, I was, I've seen some interviews saying that the Trump administration, like one of the reasons that Trump won is they were promising to bring jobs back to the Rust Belt. The problem is automation and robotics is what's eating the Rust Belt because they're ro yeah. using robotics to eat away at industries slowly. And I don't want to be unsympathetic to people who had those jobs, but, you know, the it's kind of like... You know, being angry at the Model T Ford because you want to protect horse breeders. It's like, man, it, yeah. it's a it's a superior way of like producing something that's like changing the world. So it becomes well, a, it, like one of the examples I think. So we just moved to we just moved to small town Minnesota. Yeah. And I think about people like a familiar example of a job that they don't want unless it's just for fun is being a farmer. Like, you don't truly want to go back. But at the time, like, at the time, it was the same set of circumstances. When they saw a mechanized farming, yeah. it was like, well, you know, the farms are going to go out of business and all that stuff. Well, there was, but there's also all these other little professions that come up. So as the Rust Belt declines, yeah. you're going to see, you know, you get, a, you get them into training programs. And this is, you know, we can talk the, the role of government in this, but it's, Getting those people into different professions instead of just saying, well, we're just going to leave you to rot. No, yeah. we'll get you over here and train you in, you know, solar power or, you know, yeah. battery technology. Because, you know, it, it doesn't end. It just changes. Yeah. And the, the, the change, as much as possible, is like I, I stopped fighting technology or thinking it was a negative and started embracing yeah. it and said, hold on, how can we harness this to do the good things I want to do. So I wanted, I wanted to be a successful massage therapist and I used technology to do that. I created a workbook and a PDF. That's technology. It's a book. That's a technology. Like the printing press allowed yeah. that. Then it was like video and then multicam video and then live streams and putting in my Bluetooth, taking a phone call live, like all of the stuff therapists want to do. It's like the tech allows you to put your heart on steroids and then like share it really, really wide to like find your audience. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the single biggest things is people will, you know, because it come a lot of people and I hate to say this, it comes down to money. And I love money. And people will be like, well, if you're going to give it away for free, or I've seen you have that discussion. Yeah. 
where it's like, well, you're going to give it away for, but that's not the point. The point is, is that you can make great content, you can make a great course, and then you can price it, but you don't have to necessarily price it crazy high because you're about to reach 10,000 people. And so those little numbers, when you're doing quality stuff, you get, um, I don't know if you, uh, I can't remember his name right now, with super fans. Um, he has a podcast and everything. He does a lot of business coaching. Um, you know, Seth Godin? Myself for not remembering his name. Is it Seth Godin? Um, but his book is called Superfans. And he talks hmm. about, and there's a lot of, you know, guru-y type people out there that throw this around. But that you don't need a lot of people to support you. You need good quality product or content. I hate the word content, but even though it is content. But you need a good message. Yeah. And you need people to believe in that message or want to buy it because it is a good message. Yeah. Simon Simon Sinek will say this, and I've I've tried to uh wrap my brain around some of his content. And he'd say that people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. They don't Absolutely. buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And that's something I was that again that said that? Simon Sinek. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna have to look that yeah. Up. Simon Sinek. It's like the power of why. I, I think is the name of it, or something like that. You can find the the original uh, TED talk that he did. Does a great okay. uh, like infographic kind of you know demonstration about this. And I've tried to clarify that in my marketing, and I think I've only been successful. People in our, in our industry sometimes have a big pushback against me. And I find it really confusing because I think fundamentally... I got a little bit of audio chopped there at the end. Can you still hear me? Are we chopping up? There we go. We're back. Okay. Maybe just a little bit of lag. So what I find interesting is I feel like Elon Musk, and I feel like I'm in an industry selling a Tesla, an electric car in a fossil fuel based automotive industry. And they just they just don't like it because it's different. <laughs> they just don't like it because it's different. It's not because anything about the car, it did, it's just different and we don't like different. This, this is what we do. And I'm like, uh, but Close On and Matt Based has some advantages, but it's like a statistical anomaly. So yeah. it's like, I mean, I don't know when the Tesla came out, but basically like if you own a Tesla now, eh, if you owned the Tesla five years ago, a little more weird, yeah. right? And I think that's the thing. Like people yep. just fundamentally, I try to understand this. They don't like change. And I'm trying to figure out how do you introduce something to them in a way that gets them to want the power of why. They buy why you do what you do, not what you do. Like why do they want to come over to my side? Yeah. Why do they want to explore clothes on and mat base? And I think about that from a marketing standpoint, including like video production. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's so hard because I think if you could, you could answer that question, you would solve so many problems for so many industries. If you could just figure out the, how do I get them to just give it a try? But I totally agree that the, the biggest roadblock everybody has is that they don't want to change or it seems odd or weird or just not the way things are done but getting them to try even a small try and sometimes i would say that just just video like your video before i never even thought about getting a time at until i saw some of the stuff you did 
on a mat. And then I was like, but it was the video that convinced me yeah. that I was like, oh, you know what? That is, it was a little weird at first, but then I watched him and it was like, holy shit, I want to be able to do that. And I can't do that on a goddamn table. <laughs> so, yeah. It, it's a different, yeah, it's a so, slightly, it's a slightly different art form and it has certain advantages, but I, when I finally cl clued into the fact that it was closed on, you could film and photo document, I was like, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know why I didn't see that before. And it's like, well, you didn't have mentors and colleagues who were operating a business in the way you are, in the time you are with this. Like, YouTube didn't yeah. even exist when I was in massage school. Now massage students go to YouTube obsessively to be able to find information related to the stuff they're learning in school to like reinforce their education. Absolutely. Some of my best techniques came from, from massage law. Like yep. as soon as I found him when I was in school, man, I was just like, I felt like a massage God because everybody else was still doing, you know, whatever it was. And I was like gliding across stuff and like spreading tissue and moving super slow. Yeah. And so I think it gives you like, Hey, it helps the people who are up and coming and um, gives them gives them the advantage. It introduces them to stuff. Because, I mean, honestly, schools lag so far behind on all of this stuff. Like, I don't know of a school that teaches anything in clothes. 